Welcome to today's episode of the Survival Podcast. It is a Tuesday. That means it is time for a Bitcoin breakout episode of the Survival Podcast. So we'll be in uh, both feeds today, both on YouTube and in iTunes and Fountain and all those other places. But we're going to be talking about Bitcoin today. Uh, I have a special guest today. A guy I've been following on Twitter for about a year, uh, Trent Dudenhofer. I'll have him on in just a moment. He's a, uh, a CFP, a certified financial planner, and his thesis today is that financial advisors, investment managers, et cetera, should really be talking to their customers, their clients about Bitcoin and honestly should be including it in their investments. And if not at least that, they should be aware of it. Uh, I think one of the things that I, I really like about Trent, he's kind of pointed out that there's a whole group, I would say the majority financial planners, uh, asset managers, investment advisors, investment managers today that, you know, take private clients on, they don't even have an opinion about Bitcoin other than, oh, I don't really know or stay away from it. They don't have, let's say they don't have an informed opinion. So I think this will be a great discussion. I'm really looking forward to it. We'll have Trent on in just a moment. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one, that's not them, that's the back office. Sponsor of the day number one today is Start9. Take back your digital sovereignty with Start9. They're an amazing company, lets you run your own little private server. Uh, you can run one that's kind of like for you and your family, or you can run one that's a kind of a beefed up version, where you can run kind of a, a server for a larger community. You can preserve your, your, uh, your files without relying on the cloud. You can run your own Bitcoin node. You can run your own Lightning node. Everything's super easy. If you can run a smartphone, install apps, and use apps, you can run a Start9 Embassy server. And if you are not running your own server, you're running third-party savers, your data, your apps, etc., are all under somebody else's control. Not only is everything that you do being monitored, but you are risking your information getting out into the wild. You are risking having loss of your information, your data, all that good stuff. Uh, if you, Even if you're using something that's a pretty good tool for password management, like RoboForm or something, you're still trusting a third party to protect all your password information. That's kind of crazy when you could be doing it yourself. How about end-to-end encrypted messaging? Wouldn't that be great? What if you could do it where you controlled it all? You weren't relying on somebody else's promise of software or a protocol or something. You actually ran it through your own server, so you had complete control over it. You can do all that and more with Start9. Check them out today. And remember, 9% off of all Start9 products that are not exactly cheap, guys, because they're worth the money. So even just you know one year of MSB comes back to you with the lowest cost server they have. And if you are a Bitcoin person, God, you should be using the Fold card. And you can buy a Start9 gift card in Fold and then get another 9% back. So you can actually save 18% going through the system I have set up with you with Start9. Next up today... BulkAmmo.com. Yeah, I know it's the Bitcoin breakout today, but I find there's a huge overlap between the prepper community, the freedom community, the liberty community, et cetera, and Bitcoin. That's why I actually started doing a dedicated show once a week after 14 years of doing the survival podcast. I added the Bitcoin breakout because I'm a 
First of all, I'm an OG Bitcoiner, guys. I go back to 2013 when I bought my first Bitcoin. I wish I would have kept it all. I didn't. That's a story for another day. But I've been in Bitcoin forever. But I also saw this overlap. People get into Bitcoin. They want to learn about solar and wind and guns and freedom and liberty. And that's great. But you know what I always say? You got a gun. You got no ammo. You have an expensive club. That's all you have. Uh, there was just a guy using a toy gun for a robbery. Now, I don't advise robberies, but he used a toy gun for a robbery. And he got his ass shot. An empty gun can get you killed because you can't defend yourself, but the other person thinks you're going to shoot them. Think about that. You got to have ammo. You want to train, you got to have ammo. You want to put game uh, into the freezer, you got to have ammo. You want to defend yourself, you got to have ammo. So you don't want to pay too much for it. So you buy it in bulk and you want it fast, like really fast. We'll do that at bulkammo.com. And again, 10% off all purchases at bulkammo.com. And with that, well, 10% off if you are a member of my MSB, I should say. I'll be clear about that. But uh, it, with all that said, it is my pleasure now to welcome Trent to the Survival Podcast and the Bitcoin Breakout. How you doing today, man? Doing great. Doing great. Thank you for having me on, Jack. I've uh, been following you for over a year now, so it's pretty surreal to be chatting with you. I, I'm glad to have you on. Real quick for my audience, I just want to remind you that neither I nor Trent nor any member of the show or guest of the show will ever contact you in like comments or something like that for private information. Go through our emails, go through a verified account, something like that. Do not expect that I will give you private special information about a WhatsApp channel or something. Trent wouldn't do that either in the comments below. We have people doing that all the time. And Trent, I don't know if you've seen this, but another big scam that's in the whole world of, of cryptocurrency, not really Bitcoin right now, uh, that I've seen a bunch come in on, uh, running, I don't know if it has anything to do with the fact that Trezor is one of the wallets I use or they just send it to everybody. But there's these emails going out that are supposed to be from Trezor that say your ETH failed to merge. And you <laughs> click this link and it'll fix the merge, right? And you're going to lose all your ETH if you don't do it. I'm not too worried about losing ETH, but like people have to be careful with scams, man. I love that. Um, yeah, I mean, it might have failed to merge because they haven't written the code yet. So where you can unstake your ETH, but <laughs> who knows? <laughs> yeah, man. Um, so let, let's start off with uh, I want to talk to you about Bitcoin and it, in, in the realm of financial ad advisors. But let's go back to like before you were a financial advisor, financial planner. Like what's kind of your background like when you were in high school trying to figure out what you wanted to do with your life and. And how do you end up in the world of financial planning in the first place? Yeah, yeah, uh, that will lay a really good uh, baseline for why I'm here. Uh, my parents are both, they both come from the fiat banking sector. So they've both been working in banks for 25 plus years now. And my dad has always been really big in investments. He's always loved watching CNBC, buying his own <laughs> stocks, etc. So he had me saving money from a very young age. You know, back when banks were actually paying interest on their savings accounts, um, you know, upwards of four or five percent, uh, he would have me put money into uh, my savings account from Christmas, birthdays, et cetera. And uh, actually, in the fourth grade is when I bought my first uh, stock. I bought one share of Google at four hundred eight dollars and some change in fourth grade. Wow. Uh, that was 2005. Uh, had to go through 2008 and 2009 the hard way. You know, I was freaking out. I was begging my dad to sell my one share of Google. But being the good dad that he is, he made me hold on to it. And so uh, grade school comes and goes. Then I graduate high school and I need to buy a laptop. I ended up selling that one share of Google for a laptop and then some. Uh, so it was a really great learning experience. 
it got me interested in financial markets right away. And uh, I've pretty much known, it seems like my entire life, that I wanted to do something with finance. Uh, I love dealing with money and I love to deal with people as well. Uh, and so that really blends the two worlds together as a financial advisor. Awesome. At least uh, you, you you bought a share of Google at 400 instead of a share of Yahoo at 300. <laughs> the, the, the joke with Yahoo is that was the sound you made when you sold sold it to a sucker at 300 bucks. Right? And <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's actually that's a good little analysis, though, right? Because you don't want to buy second best. So if you go back to the time frame you're talking about, there was really two search engines out there, two web marketing, you know, search based companies that were even worth talking about. They were Yahoo and Google. Mm -hmm. And you can look at history and see what happens the second best right. in something that broad. And that's kind of why I've over time gone from Bitcoin and crypto to just Bitcoin. Yep. Yep, exactly. I mean, when you say second best, I mean, what clip runs through your head? It's Michael Saylor saying there is no second best. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I also think of like, so this is predates you a little bit because I'm older than you, but way back in the day, Hertz came out with a tagline of we're number one. And, and very soon after Avis came out with a tagline of we try harder. And it was again, the same type of thing. Like Hertz just became the dominant player in rental car business. Like, who the hell wants you to try harder? We want the best, you know? Right. And especially if it comes to money. So we'll, we'll dig into that uh, more in a bit. Um, you know, I, I get how you ended up in financial planning and financial management. Um, one of the things that's been very frustrating for me is I've always felt that if a person actually understands money, actually understands investing, actually understands there is no second best, like we were just talking about, that the people that should first grab on the Bitcoin should be financial advisors, investment managers, et cetera. It, it just makes sense. Why do you think there's the attitude that exists from that marketplace today and such a disconnect with, I agree with what I saw in your notes. It's not just that they, they don't have a good opinion, whatever opinion they have, if any is, is completely uninformed is what it seems like. Yeah. Yeah, well, there are a couple of points to get at just with that uh, one question that you bring up. You know, you said that they understand investments, they understand money, they understand there is no second best. I would say that a lot of people, financial advisors included, don't really quite understand money. You know, uh, mm -hmm. most advisors that are around today, they are they started their career post 1971 with the fiat dollar. Um, it you have to really do some digging just to realize that the U.S. dollar was not always the currency that was used. And it wasn't always gold either. You know, it was it was shells or salt or whatever else it was. Uh, so Bitcoin just opens up a ton of different rabbit holes for you to go down. And what is money is a big one. Um, so, number one, I don't think that very many people understand really what money is or why we use the money that we do. Uh, and the second thing I would say is that. In terms of advisors not really coming around to Bitcoin, advisors specifically, you have to look at the incentive for them to do so right now. Um, financial advisors, they have had a great, you know, two decades or so. And I say that because a lot of their business transferred over from the way they make money, transferred over from uh, commissions, hey, buy uh, buy Google and sell your Yahoo, uh, transferred over from that to a fee-based AUM management. So they're making 1% on the assets that they manage, uh, for example. 
And business has been really good uh, with that. Obviously not so much in 2022, but leading up to that, it's been great. The market has done nothing but go up and to the right. So business is good. The gravy is gravy is rolling. There's not a whole lot of incentive for them to look elsewhere. Number one. Number two, think about how long it takes to go through that orange pill process. You know, you've been a Bitcoin OG since 2013, been buying Bitcoin that entire time, and you've done hundreds of hours of research, of podcasts, etc. And you probably still wouldn't think that you're an expert. You would never call yourself an expert in Bitcoin. Um, now, no, imagine- Donald Kruger is strong in the Bitcoin world. You go from I don't know anything and I yes. know I don't know anything. But I think I understand it. To, I don't know jack shit like that. fast. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, that's your own personal journey. You're putting your own hours, your own energy into it. Imagine having to do that for a client base, you know, of 100 different families, for example. Uh, that's a very, very long process. And you could be doing it, which leads me to my next point, all for nothing. Because a lot of broker dealers do not have any sort of product that you can offer to uh, profit off of your Bitcoin knowledge that your customers can buy. Um, you know, you can't you can't go to uh, Merrill Lynch and say, "Hey, buy me some Bitcoin." Um, and so, at the end of the day, you could impart all this knowledge, but then they might take. 10% of their portfolio that you manage out from your management. So that's 10% of your revenue gone yeah. and they're buying Bitcoin elsewhere. Now that is probably the right thing to do, but when you're in the financial advisor shoes and you have to feed your family and you're losing out on all this revenue, you know, your incentives get called into question. And let's say that's 10% of every client you have in your book of business across a hundred or a thousand clients like mm -hmm. that hurts. It, what it makes me think of is many years ago, long before the world of Bitcoin. And if we go back not that far, ETFs weren't even really the thing that they are today. You basically had stocks and mutual funds. So if you wanted to invest in gold, you didn't buy like GLD, you bought actual gold. And when I used to talk to my financial advisor, I had all the way back then when I was younger than you, it's so long ago. Um, Basically, his advice was, if you really want to buy gold, go buy some gold and put it in a safe deposit box. And it's not part of what I manage for you, because there was no way he was Edward Jones advisor. They were paid, like you said, riffs and whatever uh, versus a fee based advisor that like they advise you and you pay them a fee versus taking a riff off of your investments. And uh, so there was no way for him to make any money on that. Mm -hmm. So he was also assuming and just to be fair, you know, as I get older, I think a little bit more about the other the other side of the equation here. As your advisor, I've now advised you on an investment to come back to bite me in the ass because it didn't work out and you're pissed. And I didn't even make any money on it. Yep. So you could see why they would take that approach to gold back in, let's say, 1994 and why they might take that approach to Bitcoin today. And it's also kind of in an unregulated space. So that's another thing of like, should I be taking Johnny, Johnny, uh, you know, J Johnny works a lot and Susie Homemaker into this risky asset class and risking maybe my certification, my licensure, whatever it is. Yeah, you are 100 percent right. You know, uh, you can't force people into the orange pilling process if you are earning money to advise them. Um, if you force them and things go wrong, like Bitcoin falls 70 percent from its all time high. Who would have thought that would ever happen? Uh, you could be looking at a very uh, big pain in the butt and having to deal with that. 
so that is definitely part of it too. And like you said, it's unregulated. You know, there's really not a good um, product to offer. Yes, there's GBTC. Yes, there's Bitcoin futures ETFs. Yes, there's Bitcoin miners. But at the end of the day, you want you want yourself and people you care about to own Bitcoin. You don't want them to own any sort of fiat claim on Bitcoin where there's counterparty risk or it's not redeemable for Bitcoin, et cetera. And there's just really not a good uh, way to do that for the vast majority of advisors right now. Yeah. Yeah. What um, what is your thoughts on how Bitcoin might actually change the role of financial advisors? Might it push more advisors into that fee based model versus that commission based model? Or mm-hmm. might people find less need of financial advisors? I mean, you're going to put yourself out of business here if you're not careful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the it, in a hyper Bitcoinized world, when Bitcoin is the money. Uh, there will be a lot less need for financial advisors. A lot of them are going to lose their gig because a lot of the gig today is asset management. And Bitcoin alleviates a lot of asset management needs. Think about it. The main priority, the main reason people, Joe Schmo, who has no idea what's going on in, in the financial world, doesn't care about stocks, anything like that. He has to invest his money no matter what, if he ever wants to retire with any sort of dignity. Um, and uh, a fiat culture forces that. There is no incentive to just hold the currency to save the money. Um, and so, yeah, I think that the financial advisor uh, market is going to be uh, you know, really compressed. They're only the great financial advisors will survive. But there are great ones out there and they will survive. Because there are financial planners that care way more about the rest of your financial plan than just the asset management part. Financial advisors, a CFP like myself, we have to be very well versed in estate laws. We have to be very well versed in tax code, uh, in college planning, in secession planning, all this stuff. So there is different uh, areas of expertise that are still going to be needed and required, potentially even more so. Uh, under a Bitcoin standard or a hard money standard at that. So I think it'll look more like when you look at like accountants and CPAs and stuff like that. So when I used to run, you know, regular, normal, everyday companies that wasn't one man operations and I had a bunch of employees and I had payroll to meet and things like that, I employed accountants, right? And one big part of their job was making sure we're maximizing our tax benefits, not paying too much in tax, filing our taxes right and all. But their bigger job, like you, if you move somebody into like, you know, where they're getting like a CFO level position was, what's my cash flow? What's my burn rate? Is there going to be a hole in my capital in the third quarter? If so, do I need a bridge loan? How do I do? So they were far more valuable for that than what most CPAs do today, which is, you know, they work for Jackson Hewitt or, or whoever, and they have a person dressed as a Statue of Liberty twirling a sign for three months a year. And you go in and you give them your, your W-2s and whatever, and then they do your taxes and sign off. And most Americans could probably do their own if they don't have a business and complex deduction schedules and stuff like that. And so they're kind of bifurcated. And I think that financial planners are already bifurcated that way, but they're bifurcated mostly between the consumer level and the wealthy level, the people that handle people with a net worth of, let's say, two million and up are, you know, they handle much more of what you're talking about. Well, the consumer level, the guy that answered an ad in 
the paper and went to work for Edward Jones was trained mostly in relationship sales. And they just like fill out a form and figure out what your risk profile is. And they put you into funds and then they say, I'm managing it for you. Exactly. And it's because right now we don't look at that person that's investing at that level and understand that everything you said applies to them as much, if not more than it should apply to the wealthy person. They probably need it more, but the money is all in. Let's get you a pretty pie chart. Hmm. Let's get you a giant prospectus sent every year that you'll never read or understand. Correct. And let's send you a statement once a quarter that the mothership sends to you. And then I go get the next customer and I talk to you once a year. So you don't go away. Mm-hmm. And where now a financial planner that wants to work with folks as they're building is going to have to think more about some of the things that you talked about. Like I, it, it amazes me. I've talked to people before I was where I am this point in my life. And early on, they never even said something like, well, do you have a will? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, wait, a minute. you're, you're planning my financial future for me. And if I'm a, I'm young and dumb, cause we're all dumb when we're really young, you're just starting. You don't know, Hey, I need a will. Right. And you're not even telling me how to ensure that my assets go to the right place if I kick off. Right. That would just be one example. Or saying, hey, you're self-employed. Look, if you did an S-Corp. Yeah, exactly. Right, then you could save taxes, right? Like, and then, we're, like, well, who's your CPA? It's like, come up in life. Like, my financial advisor should be talking to my CPA at some point. Yes, yes. But, Jack, they don't make money off of that. Sure. That's the thing. <laughs> That's the thing. The incentives are not aligned. And so I, uh, you asked about, you know, the fee revenue changing and things like that. I think that that is going to happen in the financial advisor uh, world, irregardless of Bitcoin. Um, I think that many because when you are earning your revenue based on the AUM that you manage, uh, you want that AUM to go up no matter what. No matter so what. you are going you're going to focus all of your attention, especially in the client meetings. You are I've seen it. I've seen it. So many advisors talk, 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 talk so much more than their clients do because they're trying to educate. Hey, this is why we have a 60-40 portfolio. This is why we're, you know, moving 5% from domestic equities to international equities, yada, yada, yada. Um, but I think that um, revenue models will change to where maybe a client pays on a subscription basis, irregardless of what the, um, what the financial account does. Maybe they pay $200 a month or maybe they want to check in uh, once every two years and they pay $1,000 for that service. But they want the whole shebang. You know, they want uh, the assets. They want um, opinions on the assets. They want to know how they can be saving in taxes. They want um, they want opinions on their will. Uh, they want to know if they should lower their deductible on their auto insurance, things like that. Um, so, yeah, I think that uh, the model of uh, charging customers is going to change regardless if Bitcoin uh, becomes the standard. I'm very bullish on Bitcoin, that. Too. If it doesn't cause it, will accelerate it. Yes. And here's why. I had an interesting conversation today with a thread that I put up on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it, but it was about how big billionaires don't cheat on their taxes because they don't have to. Right. Right. <laughs> they influence the lobbyists who write yeah. the codes that they play. So there's no reason to cheat on your taxes. It, it's, it's far it's far more intelligent to hire a good financial team, which every billionaire has. Right. To make sure you pay almost no taxes and then how yep. you shelter with real estate and all this other stuff. Guy at the end, when I said, you know, the big secret is there's 70,000 pages in the tax code. Five percent say what you have to do. And the other 95 percent say what you don't have to do. 
mm-hmm. right? And winners focus on the 90, 95%, not the 5%. That's why you always lose. In fact, I think Thursday's podcast is actually going to be why they always win and you always lose. I think that's what I'm going <laughs> to call it, right? We're going to go deeper into that. But dude shows up at the end. He said, it takes too much time. I don't have time to go through those 66,000 pages. I'm like, you don't go through those 66,000 pages. And he's like, some of us don't have the money to do that. It's like, that's why you don't have the money. <laughs> right. So what I mean is people with a wealth mindset, no matter where they are in that progression, if if I hire you to be my financial planner and I can look at it and go, if I didn't have Trent, just didn't have it. And I did this on my own. My net this year is one hundred fifty thousand gain income, investment gain, whatever. It doesn't matter. It could be three hundred, could be one hundred fifty, just a baseline. And because I hired Trent. My baseline was 200 and you bill me $10,000. I don't blink. Mm-hmm. I don't blink. Cause like, I don't think, Oh, that cost me 10 grand. I think that made me 40 more than I would have had. Exactly. otherwise. That is such basic mathematics, but it is not how Americans think. Mm-hmm. My, my wife worked with these girls back when she was in the medical industry and they all wanted new jobs and they all wanted to make more money. So I said, well, I'm pretty good at placing people. I've worked with recruiting firms. And I'll tell you what, go tell them that whatever raise I get them, I get half their raise for 90 days. And then we we part company and never talk again. You know what they all said? I can't afford it. <laughs> now, and she said, well, what do I tell them? I said, you don't tell them anything. You don't, we're done. I'm not I'm not even having that. Like, I can't help you. Right. Right. Give me half your raise for 90 days and then keep it for the rest of your life. Right now, you don't have the raise. You'll never get the raise without me. Because I know how to negotiate and you don't. I can't afford it. That is not the end to that story that I was expecting. <laughs> but it's why it's why the system works to where I can bill you on a commission of, of and I, I said earlier, because you threw out AUM and sometimes people are, your assets under management. I have no idea how much you're actually costing me. Right. And I'm comfortable with that. But if you send me a bill and I see the bill and I pay the bill, well, everything changed, right? I mean, yeah. that's. Yeah, exactly. You know, you you might know that it's one percent, but one uh, percent changes with the asset account fluctuation. You know, yeah. uh, last year you paid a lot less, which is like great for you. But did your advisor do a 20 percent worse job? You know, mm. to that way, it's unfair for the advisor. But at the mm. same time, when, uh, you know, the gravy train is rolling and advisors have a 10 year bull market, they're doing pretty well for yeah. potentially the same amount of work. See, there's the other side of the equation, and this is where most Americans will be poor and stay poor, even if they look okay on paper. Last year, people lost money. Mm -hmm. If I look at my financial planner, and because of the position we were in, we we had a loss. Okay. If I would have lost $50,000 on my own, and I lost $10,000 with my financial planner, I view them just as valuably as if they made me 40000 more because they reduced my loss by $40,000. This is something people can't – like you got to look at the net across the board across time with any investment, with any business, with anything like that. I have a friend. Literally, that's how he built himself in the industry. He would go into a place, big contracts. Companies got a contract with the federal government. They know they're going to lose $40 million. And he'd say, well, you know you're going to lose $40 million. I'll take the job over. Whatever I save you, I take half. So maybe he brings the job from a $40 million loss to a $20 million loss and his company make 10 million bucks on that. And co- people would make that deal. Why? Absolutely. You're ahead in the end, even though, because you already were in the loss. Mm-hmm. And this 
this is why I think Bitcoin changes everything. It makes you think this way. Yeah. It forces financial education because what you hit on in the beginning is dead on. Even financial managers, advisors, planners, even people with economics degrees in general today don't know what money is. Mm-hmm. They think fiat dollars are money. They don't understand, even if they can intellectually explain how a dollar is debt, they don't understand what that actually means. And when you when you get an education in Bitcoin, which takes a while, like you said, then you get an education in money. And then you have to start thinking this way because your mind requires you to do it. Right. Right. And yeah, that example that you said, I mean, that is just uh, aligning the incentives for both parties. Now, that's a huge, huge theme in Bitcoin is check the incentive or show me the incentive. Um, so, yeah, that that is a, a perfect example of that. Now, as a financial advisor, I would never say, hey, if you if I manage your investments, I will do better than you will ever do on your own. I would never say that because the markets are unpredictable. But I'm pretty damn sure I can do it in the most efficient way possible when you're looking at your um, not not the percentage return that you see on your statement, but how it actually impacts your financial life, saving you money in taxes, giving you the peace of mind, um, having that retirement that you've always dreamed of, whatever it is. I'm pretty damn sure I can do that better than you would do it by yourself. So I noticed in your notes as well that you uh, are pretty big on the Bitcoin meetup thing. Yeah, that's kind of turning a corner there a little bit. But I guess it really wouldn't be for a a financial planner, because if you created a meetup, then you would have new potential clients as well. (laughs) Uh, Probably do better than the the Chamber of Commerce stuff. I I used to joke the Chamber of Commerce. You went there, you kicked a table, 27 real estate agents climbed out from underneath it. (laughs) You lifted a chair like five financial planners came out. Um, So it's more of a way to be individual. But what are your thoughts on Bitcoin meetups? I found the one that I got involved with here in Fort Worth to be kind of an important part of my life at this point. Like I've made new friends that we have real common values. It's not just a common interest. There's common values once you kind of take that step. Yeah. Um, It's hard to put into words just how much I value having a Bitcoin meetup. Uh, So I'm out here in Kansas City. Uh, We have meetups out in Missouri and in Kansas. And we've been uh, doing them regularly for right around two years now. And the relationships that I've built with those people is just incredible. And one of the reasons that this is so important right now, right now, is because there is no better network to join than the Bitcoiner network. Bitcoiners are doing things in the real world. They are improving the world. These are people that you want to know. They're optimistic as well. And the space itself, the Bitcoin space, is large enough to uh, warrant billions of dollars of investments. It's, it's grabbing national headlines, but it's small enough to where you can really have any of your DMs answered. You can go meet the celebrities in the space at the Miami Bitcoin meetup, et cetera. Uh, but having that local meetup is super important, especially if you care about where you're from and you have pride in your city. You want to connect with these individuals, these like-minded in- individuals as you that are working towards the same goal. And this is where you can meet business owners or you can meet ranchers or you can meet people that, uh, you know, have have uh, they produce their own honey. You know, they have uh, bees or whatever. And uh, then you just start the circular economy. You know, uh, you can you can ask to pay them in Bitcoin for their goods or services. They might install a BTC pay server on their website. Uh, so then you're building that circular economy. And at the end of the day, 
Like that's what you want. You yeah. want to be in a community that values Bitcoin and uses Bitcoin. Um, so yeah, I, I can't I can't put into words how valuable that meetup is for me. You know, and for my audience, if you you know you're looking for people that like practice permaculture, get in alternative energy. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, the reason I started breaking out one episode a week as a Bitcoin dedicated episode and giving its its own extra feed and everything is the overlap is huge. Yeah. So I, I started going to this Bitcoin meetup. I got it here on the screen. Fort Bitcoin is what we call it for Fort Worth Bitcoin. Um, a little play on Fort there because we got the fortress going on, the Citadel. And, uh, you know, the guy that started it, it's pretty big time in Bitcoin, runs a couple different Bitcoin companies, been around in the industry forever, uh, including doing like the flare gas mining and stuff like that. He gets in touch with me. I had him on the show, but what he gets in touch with me about is he wants me to go over to his house and look at like his gardens and stuff and talk to him about permaculture design. And I just feel like everybody I talk to in this space, as soon as they hear, you know, you're into gardening, liberty, whatever, they're like all over it. Yeah. And I think a lot of them, they didn't come like I came from that space to Bitcoin. I think a lot of them come to Bitcoin from, I guess, the the normie world and then, you know, diet, natural living, all of that stuff kind of opens up because you find I was lied to about money my whole life. So the, th that's like the biggest lie there is to be lied yep. to about money. Right. So if you if you actually see it that way, then the next thing you think is, well, what, what the hell else are these jerks lied to me about? Right. You know, and you yeah. start digging for truth. Yeah. Could not agree more, um, you know, especially about what you said about permaculture and growing your own food and stuff like that. Like Bitcoin has encouraged me to begin my my own homesteading activities. And that is how I found your podcast <laughs> was okay. from Bitcoin. And I looked up like best homesteading podcasts and yeah, you were like number two or number one or something. Um, so I live in an apartment here in Kansas city that gets minimal sunlight and I can't wait to get out. I yep. thought I would always love this kind of thing. You know, I, Oh, I don't have to uh, fix my faucet or something. I just pay somebody to do it. No, I can't wait to get the hell out. And I'm from a small town in Jeff in uh, Missouri, in the middle of Missouri. And I, we had plans, my wife and I, we had plans to move back there later this year because uh, we want our own space. We want our own land and we want to be more self-sufficient. Um, and so that is like one of my biggest goals for 2023 uh, is to really start putting this stuff into motion. And you are one of the biggest inspirations for that. Well, thank you for that. Um, I know you also like you follow, follow Brian Harrington um, yes. from yeah. choice and like he, what he's doing with solar is amazing. Like, so he figured out like this maxes out my solar. I've, I've taught my batteries off. I'm not home. I can't use the power directly. His Bitcoin miner kicks on, uses a surplus solar power. Yep. And then when it's not available, it shuts off. And so you might look at that and say, well, is it profitable? Well, it's, it's, it's back to thinking like we were talking about a, a bit ago with it's money I wouldn't have had. Exactly. With it, using an asset that I already had. The only thing he's got in it is the ant miner because the solar system's for the house. And the solar system outproduces what the house can, you know, it outproduces the battery bank. Yeah. So at some point, you've got this surplus energy, which is a micro scale of what we're doing with Bitcoiners doing co-location mining with power companies and power generation companies. 100%. 100%. And yeah, that is one of the really fun rabbit holes to go down to is um, that Bitcoin mining will be the most efficient use or using the heat from a Bitcoin miner will be the most efficient way to, to heat whatever needs being heated. Mm -hmm. uh, so that sort of like 
I guess you could call it game theory. Uh, trying to think out how that would play through is really fascinating. I mean, I've seen people use surplus heat to dry out beef for a beef jerky. Bill. <laughs> I've seen right. people use larger mining systems, surplus heat to heat greenhouses to grow through winter. Right. Those are just two examples. I think what we need is that like the like so then you start combining things like so the issue with using a surplus heat in a greenhouse is when it gets warm out. Mm. Right. So then, well, I need something else to do with that surplus heat. But it's heat's energy and energy has value. And it's how can we harness that? Because, as you know, with power generation, they have to make more than they can sell. Yeah. So if you have something to do with it, you can sell it to a mobile Bitcoin miner. Yeah. And I think it might be the biggest if there's a problem with Bitcoin and green energy, it might be that the Bitcoin Bitcoin network doesn't use enough. Yeah. Right. Oh, it, yeah. It doesn't use enough to actually fulfill its full destiny of what it could do for green energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could not agree more. And it's going to be really interesting uh, to see how Bitcoin mining actually ushers in sort of the green energy infrastructure as well. And, you know, I don't want to sit up here and LARP about me being some sort of energy genius or anything like that, but, uh, having next to zero knowledge coming into it, it's very obvious to see the benefits mm-hmm. of what Bitcoin miners are doing for the energy sector. It did just happen here in Texas. We had another one of these massive cold fronts come through and everything that was promised was done. All these massive miners, when the, the load got high on the grid, they basically turned down as much as they were asked to do. And when yep. the load went away, they, they, they turned back up. And unlike a data center, like for AWS or something like that, they can do that. A Bitcoin mm-hmm. miner can shut off. Their expense is mostly energy. So if they're not running, they don't have the, the ongoing expense of energy. So they can shut down and they can be down in a minute and back up in a minute. Yeah. I don't know yeah. anything else that can use that surplus energy at that level. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. But like, I'm not an energy expert either. So let's kind of move on from there. You say that right now is the best time to get involved with the Bitcoin network. Is that a play on the best time to plant a tree is 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 20 years ago and the second best time is now? Or is there actually a reason in the development of the network and price action, all of that, that really makes this a good time to get involved? Well, uh, let me ask you this. Did you go to the Miami Bitcoin conference last year? Nah. OK, so I was there. I was fortunate enough to be there with, I think, like 30,000 other Bitcoiners. And I was so energized from that conference that I wrote just a quick little article about sort of what I was feeling. And I equated it to being like in 1776 in Philadelphia around the founding fathers while they're writing the Declaration of Independence. Like it's that huge of a revolution and there's that much brain power as well. And you can be there for the front row. You know, you can go up and at these at these conferences, you can go up and talk to all your uh, all your celebrities that are on all the podcasts or whatever, you know, you just go up and shake their hand and say, Hey, thanks for doing all you do. And then if you have enough time, you can kind of tell them about yourself and, you know, maybe they'll remember you give them a business card or whatever else. Um, so it's, you know, it, like I said earlier, it's large enough to, um, warrant all the national headlines, but it's still small enough to where you're, you can get your foot into nearly any door out there. And, you know, if you have faith in Bitcoin as an asset, um, then there's no reason not to. And I hate networking. All right. I really do. I hate being that cheesy guy that hands out business cards and stuff like that. 
because, you know, everyone that goes to one of those networking events, they're there for a reason. And most of the times it's to earn more business. And most of the times it's from you. Uh, but the Bitcoin or network, like we were touching on earlier, there's so many like minded individuals here and they want the same thing as you do. And so it's so much easier to network, especially if you're an introvert at like your Bitcoin meetup, because, you know, you have at least one thing in common and you know that you can both talk to each other about that for hours, probably. Um, so I just encourage everybody to and then the connections, you know, they they pay dividends down the road. Like, yeah, it is nice to have somebody. And, yeah, I just talk, you know, stuff. I just talk bad about people wanting to network just to earn money. But that is a byproduct of this. Uh, but you don't have to fake it either. Yeah. It's uh, what's so, the yeah. Lead? Do you lead with a relationship or do you lead with going for more business? And it's I've always advised people, even when I was a sales manager, I would advise my salespeople lead with the relationship. hundred percent. Yeah. Easier just, said than done. But hundred percent. Well, if you do it long enough, you end up with clients that love you and you love them back. Yeah. And it sounds cheesy, but it's true because then you end up not having clients that you don't like or that don't like you. And that's just a much easier position to be in. It's a little bit slower, but it's a much more steady. It's a much more reliable way. And I'm not talking about just like the type of thing that people think of, like financial advisors or something like that or insurance sales or whatever. I'm talking about any business. When you build a business based on people with common values they don't want to go do business with somebody else over a nickel mm -hmm. because that person's not you. Can't be you. That company's not you. It can't be your company. Yeah. And it's, it's a little hard to get your head around, but it's, if I would say anybody out there, if you think about it, there's probably somebody that you do business with that, you know, you could buy something similar for less and you won't. And then I'll ask you the question, why? Right. And it's either going to be quality. Well, then it's not equivalent. Right. But if it's close to equivalent, then it's going to be relationship. That's your only it's, it's quality, quality. And if you say service, that's part of quality. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Reliability. That's part of quality. So it's either quality or relationship. And relationship is the one that can't be imitated. Um, what is your thoughts on like because I the way you came at that question was more like getting involved is in finding a place as a producer or a subject matter expert or mining or something. What is your thoughts on this being uh, like a really great time to get involved from just a flat out accumulations time, like a time to buy? Um, so I want to preface this with saying that this is not financial advice, <laughs> um, but I actually just sent out a tweet this morning that said your future self is going to thank uh, you for cutting unnecessary expenses today to stack more sats. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it's, you know, there will be people out there that say, oh, we still got another couple of thousand dollars to fall or whatever it is. Um, I don't care. Yeah, 70% off the highs, like the opportunity cost of not buying Bitcoin and waiting for it to go back up is way too high for me to stomach. Yeah. Um, and, and the easiest way to do that is just to have an auto DCA, an auto do dollar cost average that buys every single day or every single week. Uh, because it's going as long as you have the money in the bank account that it's uh, pulling from, uh, it's going no matter what. And if you want to completely forget about the Bitcoin price for two years or whatever, then you can do so. So it's a lot easier to stomach as well. Um, so, yeah, not financial advice, but I am uh, I'm I'm pretty OK with these prices right now. One of my first big drops in the market, I've had Bitcoin I was holding. I bought for about 900 bucks and it went down to like three something. 
and there were people who said it's going to go down, I'm waiting to buy. Mm-hmm. And what I would say is right now, if you bought Bitcoin back then at 300 or 900, you don't even care. Yeah. Now you can go yeah. back and mathematically make the case for how much more you would have done had you bought it at 300. Mm-hmm. But no one sits around and goes, you know, back in 2014, <laughs> I should have waited. And especially if they were buying all the way down and all the way up, then you can't even remember what you did. Right. Right. But, but I do. I know you have to kind of preface it's not financial advice. I sort of do as well, except I'm not in that business. So clearly it's not. Um, I refer to this period as accumulation trough. Yeah. So if you look at Bitcoin since inception, it's basically every year for three years goes up, 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 down, up, 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 down, up, yeah. up, up, <laughs> down. And I'm not saying it's going to continue to do that, but it is is a mathematical certainty about supply issuance. And it's the most consistent pattern that I've ever seen in anything. Right. Almost like math results in patterns or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. And we do have another halving coming. And there's usually a, a kind of a, a, a slow move back up as you come into a halving, which is until next spring for people. Right. Spring to summer of yep. next year, not 2023, 2024. But then you have that slow up. And that's your time to, you know, that repeat buying because your next run up inevitably I feel pretty confident saying I expect it to outrun what it did the last run up. Right. Cause it always has. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing it, it's hard, it's hard looking at what you had in dollar terms uh, last year, the year before that compared to yeah. what you have now it is. And I get that. It's very, it's a kick in the shorts. I understand that, but sats in your cold storage number go up is much better than Bitcoin price number go up. Yeah. Um, there aren't too many certainties in life, but one of the certainties are that the dollar and every other fiat currency is going to is mathematically guaranteed to continue to debase. I mean, to. yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, you had one trillion dollar spending bill that gets approved and we have all this money out of thin air. That's just for government spending. But if you look at the, um, you know, the national deficit, of course, 32 trillion and change. But then you look at the unfunded liabilities, which is everything that the federal government has to pay out for Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, over one hundred trillion dollars. And if they if the federal government wants to avoid protests in the street or their own homes getting broken into or the Capitol building really getting overtaken, unlike what we saw at January 6th, they're going to make sure that those checks go out. Uh, which means that your dollar is going to continue to be debased. And the funny thing is, is that, yes, this is happening in the U.S., but it's happening everywhere else as well. Yeah, I'm about to bring something up on the screen, for at least for those that can uh, take a look. i got to stop that screen and bring up a different screen now. Uh, and this is something that I'm sure you're going to be familiar with. Our, our listeners will be familiar with. Our viewers will be familiar with. The U.S. debt clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, when we look at this, everybody wants to focus on that horrifying number up there in the in the right hand quarter, and that is a national debt of thirty one trillion dollars. And I remember when the national debt was about five trillion dollars, and people made like when it hit ten million or ten trillion, the world was going to end. You know, it blew through that, and it blew through twenty, and it hit thirty one trillion recently, and it will hit fifty trillion someday. Like that is going to happen. We know that, and that's the devaluation you're talking about. Over here, 
This is the number you're kind of referencing. This U.S. unfunded liabilities, and, and, and I'm not the most astute person in the world, but I think that says $173 trillion. And you're a financial planner, so you tell me if I got this wrong. That's basically bills the United States government knows that it will not have the money to pay, and we'll have to print the money in order to pay the bill. $173 trillion between now and whenever they raid that circuit. I think that's over a 50-year cycle or something, or 20-year cycle or something like that. It almost doesn't matter. When you're talking a staggering number like 170 trillion, and, and just to reiterate again, so people that are listening to this understand what we mean by that, I'm saying the government's already saying we will not have this money. Like in addition to all the other money we're going to spend, this is the additional money we will not have and have to print. Yeah, I mean it, it's scary when you think about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. it's good to know that uh, people are going to get their Social Security checks, but the Social Security checks are not going to be worth what they were even this year, uh, next year. Uh, and the dollar that you just earned from your fiat mining job is definitely not going to be worth as much. Yeah, that fiat mining job, that's a valid it is, too. Like, and So you're, you're devaluing everything and they will print whatever's necessary to cover the discrepancy. But that's something yeah. we've already seen. They even print money they don't need mm -hmm. to cover the discrepancy based <laughs> on discrepancies they create. Right. So that $175 trillion is based on a discrepancy that already exists. It doesn't include any of the new shit that they're going to want that they don't have money for. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it's a, it, it, So at some point, I look at it and I go, the U.S. monetary system will have to rebase. Now, I've floated theories before about what that will look like. I've floated theories about it before Bitcoin was a thing. Um, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I, I will tell you that historically during monetary rebasements, uh, if you are holding that currency, you lose. That's the whole yep. point. Yep. And, and that yep. has to happen. I, you know, what are we going to get to where we're like, you know, talking about the dollar, like it's Turkish lira, like mm -hmm. how much, is, how much is that hamburger? $4,000. Yeah. Which you know? granted, I do think that that will be a while. I think that yeah, I agree. Um, you know, trust in governments and institutions is at an all time low, but it's still pretty high uh, to compared to what the, the type of trust you need in order for that to happen. Um, yeah, and I had another point, too, but I don't remember what it was. <laughs> all right. Uh, oh, UBI. UBI. Okay. Yeah. Uh, like you said, uh, they're paying for things that uh, they don't have yet. And UBI, it seems inevitable to me. Uh, with this wealth gap getting even worse, which is due to central bank money printing and money printing in general. Um, I think that more and more people are going to demand some sort of monthly stipend. Um, and so I really think that UBI is almost inevitable. Um, and it's just going to be a bandaid for a broken leg. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And then that can only go so long. Yeah. Right. Like the rich people aren't going to pay for it. If you took all the money that every billionaire in the United States has 100 percent of their wealth, it would run the government for less than six months. Mm -hmm. So it damn sure can't pay everybody a UBI of 300 million people a UBI on an ongoing basis. It, we're back to mathematics and people yeah. having a hard time um, understanding mathematics. So thinking of mathematics, how does the total supply, the total addressable supply of Bitcoin relate to investment and to what actually like to understanding the true underlying value of Bitcoin that 
that hard cap of 21 million that can't be broken, the right. guaranteed um, deflation by half every four years. And yeah. the amount that like is just gone. So we say 21 million. There's at least a couple, three million lost, gone, tied up in Satoshi wallets or whatever. And there's money that, you know, a lot of people that once they stack it, it doesn't come out. So I don't think there's 21 million Bitcoin up for grabs. I think there's like a few million Bitcoin up for grabs right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and you have people that are DCAing thousands of people every single day uh, that are buying that Bitcoin up no matter what the price is. Uh, so, yeah, um, investing on a hard money standard means that you have an opportunity cost that has come back into play. Right now, investments, investing in your retirement account has zero opportunity cost because the opportunity cost of not doing that is incredibly high because then you're just holding the currency, you're holding a devaluing dollar, you're never going to outpace inflation. With Bitcoin, when you have a steady or potentially even, even increasing um, purchasing power, uh, over periods of time. Now, granted, this is way into the future, so I'm getting mm -hmm. ahead of myself a little bit, but this is when Bitcoin is the money. Um, when Bitcoin is the money, then you do not have to go into that, um, or you do have an opportunity cost that you have to overcome uh, to decide to allocate towards that investment. Yeah, and, and that's, to me, that's going to make things very interesting. Um, one of the pieces that really, fell into place for me was when I started hearing Michael Saylor enter the space and he started talking about how at some point you have enough Bitcoin stacked, you don't want to spend it. So you borrow against it and borrowing against appreciating assets is one of the primary ways that wealth has been built for centuries. Mm -hmm. what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'm sorry. Can you can you repeat that? Yeah, track? So the Michael Saylor approach to retirement or leveraging your Bitcoin if you don't want to spend it is to borrow against it the way people borrow against real estate. But real estate right. has okay. like this. You can't move it. You can't really self custody. It has a tax against it. Yeah. Um, if if the the domain it's in shits the bed, like you bought Greek real estate and then Greek goes into crisis, you have a problem. Yeah. Where Bitcoin can it's 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 weightless. It can go anywhere, but it's still this like pristine form of capital that yeah. you can borrow against. So I think a lot of it gets kind of tied up like that. Now the other side of that is it requires it requires some kind of a currency that's not Bitcoin. If Bitcoin becomes the money, there's still room for a, a fiat of some sort or some sort of something. Because if you're going to borrow against it, the last thing you want to borrow is the appreciating asset against the appreciating asset. That won't work. And maybe that right. jakes him a little bit into a world that won't work. I don't know because yeah. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure either because uh, Sailor, he sort of um, he goes about it as Bitcoin is you're you will yeah can't talk you will yeah. use Bitcoin as your collateral uh, for dollars for your spending yeah. needs. And yeah, I just don't know if that's going to fly in a hyper Bitcoinized world. I don't think people are going to want dollars. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so while I agree that that would be a match made in heaven, um, you know, the, the cost to borrow under a hard money standard is going to be substantially higher than it is today. Yeah. I, I think part of what maybe pushes him that way, and it doesn't mean he's wrong. It's just, I think what makes him kind of jaded that direction is there's a patriot. And I mean that in, not the America right wing patriot. I mean, like he just believes in America. 
His yeah. goal in life when he was a young man was to be a naval aviator. He has tremendous respect for the military. And I think there's a point in his mind where he cannot see the United States dollar completely going away. And his thesis is actually that Bitcoin will fix the dollar because it will make nation states have to become more responsible. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I agree with 90 percent of what comes out of the man's mouth. I don't know if I agree with it. I'm not saying he's wrong. I just I don't know that that happens. I think at some point. But if you get a rebased dollar, then that you see what I'm saying, like if there is a a nation state currency that gets devalued across time, that actually would advantage the person who had the huge stockpile of Bitcoin. And if the, it seems like a like you win either way, you either have that opportunity or if the currency itself collapses and Bitcoin becomes hyper Bitcoinized world, then you better have that, too. Yeah. Right. Like one way or another, the, the, the solution is still the same. Stacks ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. For a long term time frame, you know, and that's uh, one of the things, too, that Bitcoin is going to change is intermediate term time. Uh, you're investing on an intermediate term time frame. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to do right now. That's my least favorite question to field as a financial advisor. Uh, hey, I need to use money in one to four years. What should I do with it mm-hmm. until then? There's no good option. Uh, yeah. You have to hold cash, uh, which devalues, obviously, year over year. You can invest in stocks, but then you could have a 2022 where you're buying a Snapchat and it loses 90% of its value. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not guaranteed to come out ahead with bonds. Uh, so you're you're really boxed into a bad situation. Uh, but Bitcoin, like we've been saying, in a hyper-Bitcoinized world, you'll just be able to hold the currency. And then the currency will, will uh, stay, you know, the purchasing power of the currency will stay relative or it could potentially even increase too with that 21 million cap, no devaluation possible. So one of the things that makes dollars chase investments and accept risk is the certain devaluation of the capital. So if I save U.S. dollars for a year or two or three for something I'm earmarking in the future, I know I'm going to have inflation eat away at it. And I call that the basically I'm paying to maintain the opportunity to capital without having an underlying loss. I know the cost is going to be around 8% right now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then the balance of my wealth, I want somewhere leveraged earning me some sort of return because if I don't, then that, that cost will go across all my wealth. And the wealthier I am, the worse that is. Yeah. Right? If I'm worth $10 million and 8% and a real inflation rate of more like freaking 18 is a lot more painful than if I'm worth $10,000. Maybe I can afford it more, but it sucks worse, right? So (laughs) I'm going to put money to work because of the potential loss. So I want to get into how this might affect retirement in the future, because if you take that away, then my willingness to put my capital at risk goes down. If I know that my, let's say we get well into the future, Bitcoin has kind of a nice, reasonable appreciation rate, Mm-hmm. eight, 10 percent average. Right. Nobody's going to get super rich if they start that day with it like that. We, we've all front run them, but it's stable. It makes sense. You put your life into it across a, a whole career. You have a much safer baseline of wealth. Now, the fact that you're promising me, you know, not you personally, but some companies promised me I can make 14 percent of my money. Not so attractive yeah. anymore. If the, my choice is 14 percent gain. Or 8% loss, you see what I'm saying? Like, all of a sudden it starts to like, and so then will wealthy capital 
tighten? Like, will it make it much harder to get people to invest in innovation and things like that? Well, investing is supposed to be hard. That's um, an idea that we've really lost track of uh, over the last decade or so. Uh, you're not, you know, passive index investing is is not investing. That is saving. You are not doing any sort of research into what you're buying. You're just sort of doing it because everybody else is doing it and it's low cost and you hope your money to increase uh, over time. But investing should be hard and people should not have to do it. That is another big uh, thesis of mine that you should not be enforced. You should not be forced to invest because your dollar or your currency is rapidly uh, losing value. Uh, and so, yeah, on a re- on a retirement standard uh, or in retirement on a Bitcoin standard, uh, I think that this is going to drastically change the way people do their asset allocation. And then you look at uh, Bitcoin's total ad- total addressable market with that allocation. Uh, and you see that Bitcoin really does have a lot of potential as an investment asset when in, um, the total addressable market of all assets, if you're going to put a number on all assets in the world, you're looking somewhere around $500 trillion, maybe probably more than that. And yeah. Bitcoin right now is sitting at a little puddle of $300 billion. Yeah. And if you, you know, uh, if you think through how a hard money standard is going to change uh, the reasons for investing, uh, it makes a very bullish case for Bitcoin. Yeah, I have up on the screen right now. Right now, you can buy a million sats for $174. That's incredible. And people are like, oh, whatever. <laughs> you know what? You're going to be the same people that, that I, I get the least amount of people show up for, for my Bitcoin shows than anything else that I do. Yeah. I get all the time about how it's the opportunities lost. Or They're the same people that they're going to be asking me how to buy Bitcoin when Bitcoin's 80 grand. Yeah, exactly. And how to buy Bitcoin when it's 150 grand, right? Yeah. And you can't get close to a million sats for 100, for under $200. Yeah. Right? So you can 100%. be a sats millionaire right now for under 200 bucks. Yep. Uh, Jack, I am so sorry to have to do this. We're kind of going through uh, uh red alert at work right now. I'm okay. very sorry for your time and to your audience, uh, but I really enjoyed talking with you. I have to, I have to, drop off. I'm really sorry about that. No, I understand. That's okay. We'll try to get you back on and get to the rest of this agenda later, man. Again, so sorry. Thank you for having me on, though. It was a blast. Really appreciate it, Jack. Live podcasting, stuff like this happens. I'll I'll carry it from here. Uh, All right. Thank you, Jack. Really appreciate you. All right. I'll catch you again. Thanks. Bye. So, guys, that that was unexpected. I actually had like four more bullet points uh, to talk to Trent about. Uh, I think I'll take this opportunity, though, just to talk to you a little bit about what I see as the opportunity in Bitcoin today is that that people are not seeing. And all I would say is go back at least five years and do the math of what would have happened if you had invested $50 a month from that point forward. Go to any point in time across a five-year period with Bitcoin. Pick up an all-time high and do it, and not if I bought in. Because right now, if you if you time certain parts of the market equally, you won't see that much of a gain. But take any period of time and DCA across five years and look at it. And, and then think about the fact, I'm saying any period, uh, any consecutive five-year period. And, and you start to understand that the best place you could have started would have been during a bear market. And, and I've talked about it. It's so 
it's so inverse thinking that people want to buy Bitcoin the most when it's at an all-time high. And I've been doing this again for a long time, and I've been doing referral business for a long time. And Hunter is asking, is one Bitcoin 100 million sats? That's correct, 100 million sats. There's 21 quadrillion Satoshis. 21 million Bitcoin equals 21, million, 21 billion, uh, uh, I'm sorry, tw- 21 quadrillion sats. So when people say that Bitcoin can't scale and serve the world as a monetary instrument, they're in denial of mathematics again, because we can even eventually, if we ever had to, fractionalize a Satoshi. The one thing we can't do is make more Satoshis or make more Bitcoin. You could have a half a Satoshi. You could have a quarter of a Satoshi. It's programmable money. And it's something that's never been done before in the history of mankind. We've never had programmable money. The first time I heard that, I'm like, that sounds interesting. It sounds like a buzzword. It sounds like something I would put in long sales copy to sell somebody my get rich quick scheme on how to invest in Bitcoin if I was that kind of person or something. But it stuck with me and it wouldn't let me go. And then as I watch, and one of the things I was really hoping to talk to Trent about, this is where we were going next, is layered applications. When the layered applications first came in, when Lightning first showed up, I thought, well, that was in- that's interesting. It'll make it cheap to send small amounts of Bitcoin. I didn't understand that in just a few years, we'd have a, an app like Fountain.fm where you can listen to my podcast and say, I think Jack is worth about a buck an episode. So I will boost him 5,000 stats for this episode, right? That would be one thing. That's interesting. What's more interesting is I think every minute that Jack talks to me is worth a tenth of a cent. So I'm going to set my stream to 10 sats a minute or one sat a minute. And literally, you could listen to my podcast and every minute that went by, you sent me one Satoshi, one Satoshi, one Satoshi. So in a 60-minute podcast, 60 sats. In a two-hour podcast, which would be a really long podcast to listen to, 120 sats, it's, it, it's a few cents. But you could do that. And then I could scale that across my audience. And then I started like some of the other things that I've talked about. Once you can do that, what can't you do? This is something that if you, if you explained what you wanted to do to somebody, right, you got a coder six years ago. Not that long. Six years ago. I want to make a podcast app that does what I just said. They would have said, okay, you're stupid. I can't talk to you. Goodbye. Like they wouldn't understand why anybody would even want to, less, let alone how anybody could. You could have took all the shit coins. You could have took your big blocks from Bitcoin Cash. You could have took things like Simple Ledger Protocol, which was supposed to enable things like that. Any of that stuff, and it wouldn't have worked. Now, you throw layer two. You throw lightning on top of this. And then all of a sudden you have this idea Again, I've said if you look at your you look at your cell phone right now and you look at the apps on your cell phone. Look at that app, and I'm not talking about just directly paying for the app, paying a service fee to the app developer. The apps that are most valuable have a network effect. Right? So one of the really cool things about Fountain is being able to make clips, and maybe you don't have, you know, five hours a day to dedicate to listening to podcasting. You know, and you want to have maybe a podcast or two you really follow. But you want somebody to curate content for you and give you an hour of content a day that's really from 20 different shows. It's the best of or some group of people. The more people involved, the more people making clips, the more people you follow, 
the more clips there are to listen to, the more you can gain from the one hour that you have about information, knowledge, and entertainment. Well, now, if you value that person, we have a thing in Fountain where people say, hey, I like this clip. So they hit it, and 10 sats go to the person who made the clip. Or they liked it a lot, so they hit it three times and 30 sats go. Or you're like, you know what? If I like a clip, I'm fine giving that person 50 sats. So you set that as your limit. Now start asking yourself how many apps out there that work that way. I've talked about the traffic app with Waze. So Waze would be smart to do this. They're not going to. But whoever does it first will have the dominant traffic app. Because why do you use a traffic app? You use it for two primary reasons. One, I don't know where I'm going, so I want directions. But two, I want to know about hazards and problems and alternate routes along the way. And the way you know that is the computer watches the performance of the traffic, forms an AI-generated opinion of it, and tells you, hey, take this alternate route, or hey, you know, this guy up here reported a cop is here. Right? So that takes a human action. AI doesn't know it's a cop is why people are slowing down. They just know there's a reason. So that app maybe pings people or people just report cop. And I do it. If I'm using Waze, I do it every time because I don't want you to get a ticket. But what if you could give me a dollar because I just saved you a contact with law enforcement? Well, you're probably going to do it. Or, you know, if somebody says, hey, here's like lays in an alternate route and it vets out and AI can even be part of that. And that saves you 30 minutes on your eight hour trip. Then you might reward that person. Right. What else can do this? Nothing. Programmable money can do this. And what can do it at a, at a price that's so cheap that you don't even think about it. What if you had an app that was five dollars a month and you thought it was worth five dollars a month, but two dollars a month went to sats in your account? And hey, it's free, kind of how Fountain works right now, except you're not paying money in to do it. You just get sats for listening. Not a ton, but you get some. You might as well share the love, right? There's so, you know, Fold doing sats back for all your purchases. How, how, we, we are never going to see the end of how these applications can use these layers to be monetized. Then we start looking into things like layer three with Fediments, and I'll see if I can find the article I put on Twitter a couple days ago. I found the best, oh, it's actually a video tutorial of how Fediments work. Best tutorial I've seen. But basically, now you're able to create a private banking system. It uses my third party. Yes, it does. It would only be for things that you want a banking system for, but it's also a hell of a lot more trustworthy than a banking system because much like the Bitcoin network is secured by nodes, there's multiple parties within the Fediment that all have to come to consensus and agreement that this person loaned money here and this money's been you know, repaid because you might want a way to finance. That's what we were getting to with Trent when he had to leave. So you've got something that can do a thing that no fiat currency will ever be able to do. If they come up with a CBDC in the United States, it will not be able to do this. If they use stable coins, in the United, it will not be able to do this because of the very nature of a centralized versus a decentralized system. So what I would say to you, if you're one of these people, because I have people, I know y'all, you show up just a bitch. I didn't see many today. It's, it's unusual. Usually I have people that they show up on my Bitcoin days just to say things like, it's a scam. It's backed by nothing. Just complete ignorant statements. No understanding whatsoever. If you're that person, but you're kind of coming around, buy a few hundred bucks. Buy a few hundred bucks. It's probably not worth getting a, 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 a hardware wallet. 
to secure $200 worth of Bitcoin. Just get a good software wallet, Coinami, Exodus, something like that. Transfer it into your own self-custody. Learn to use it, understand it, comprehend it. Get the Strike app. Occasionally buy a little bit more. Learn that you can buy dollars. And There's another thing, right? So I can take the Strike app, a little app on my phone, a little piece of software. I can link a debit card to it. I can deposit. I go out to eat, and my bill is going to be, you know, $180, and I'm going to tip 30 bucks. so I'm going to need $210, so I, or $110. So I, I deposit, or 180 let's say $180, $180, i am going to tip. I'm going to I'm going to end up paying like 220, whatever that number is. I'll stick that number in deposit. If that if that vendor takes Bitcoin, I'll, I'll click a little scan code. And if they want lightning, they can have lightning. If they want on chain, they can have on chain. I go boop. They receive Bitcoin. I spent dollars. What else will do that? And so when you reject Bitcoin, you're rejecting something as Mick, Mick is saying right here. Twenty one million divided by infinity. A fixed quantity of 21 million units divided by everything that programmable money will ever be able to do in the world. And I just think it's a mistake. And I think that was Trent's thesis that a lot of the folks that are like financial managers and advisors here. If you want to deeply research and fully understand Bitcoin, and once you do say to your clients, I don't think you should invest in this. I may disagree with you, but I respect you. Okay, I absolutely respect your opinion. I always remain open to being wrong about a thing. When your your rejection is out of hand with a lack of any understanding, you are a bad financial advisor. You are a bad investment manager because this person is coming to you with their wealth and you're ignoring the best performing asset class of the last decade. I, I think that's a huge mistake. And if if you're, you know, put your financial advisor, if you have one or if you don't, don't worry about them to the side. And then ask yourself, is this something that I should completely ignore? Does this make sense that I should just pretend it doesn't exist and, and expect it will go away? And how many people have expected that for more than 10 years now? And this is the God's honest truth, in my opinion, anyway. Bitcoin is less of a risk right now than it was when it was $1,000. Because the network's bigger, the network's stronger, the assets more, everything's better than it was. Bitcoin is a hell of a lot less of a risk at 16, 17, 18, 20,000 dollars. I don't care anywhere in this range than it was when it was a dollar. It was actually a huge risk at a dollar. Well, what's a dollar? I can, you know, I can't buy a candy bar for a dollar. Yeah, but you wouldn't have bought a dollar. I'm saying a thousand dollars, something that hurts if you lose it. A thousand dollars in a Bitcoin when that would have bought you a thousand Bitcoin. The risk would have paid off, yeah, but it was the risk. There was huge potential for Bitcoin that had just matched dollar parity at one Bitcoin to the dollar. There was a huge potential for that to go to zero. No matter how good it was, no matter the fact that this was what it could become, and we're only getting started at what it can become, there was a huge potential for that. When it got to $1,000 of Bitcoin, there was still significant potential for that. Today, it's being integrated into applications and systems throughout the world. It's a different situation. It is. Now, I know the United States has not approved an ETF yet. 
And I do think that's where you pull the pin on the grenade and all bets are off and things explode. And the wall of money that comes in at that point is insane. And I'm not talking about the futures ETF that was approved a couple of years ago. I'm talking about a spot ETF. But do you know how many nations, major nations like G7, G20 nations have Bitcoin ETFs? So now you have pension funds for teachers in Canada invested in Bitcoin. But you think the government's going to get rid of it. It will reach a point where a pension fund in the United States for a firefighter or a school teacher or a nurse, the people that you, you, you can screw with them, but you can't do something like that to them without blood in the streets will happen. And then it's, it's done. And then you're going to look back at this time in history and go, if I would have only known, and you did, but you chose not to. And the main, you know, we didn't talk about this with Trent, but the main reason that people don't invest in Bitcoin is they don't understand it. They think it's too hard to understand. They're afraid to make a mistake and they won't do the work to correct the knowledge gap. But then they'll tell you how lucky somebody else was. And the person that you're talking about wasn't lucky. They also didn't know. They also were afraid to make a mistake, but they did two things. They corrected the knowledge gap. And they took the risk that they would make a mistake and they took about 50 bucks. And then they said, well, shit, that wasn't that hard. I bought 50 bucks worth of Bitcoin. Let me try this wallet thing. And they sent it. And if they lost 50 bucks because they did it wrong somehow, which I guess it can be done. It, they've made it where it's really hard to do it wrong, by the way, at this point in the game. Uh, but let's say they did. Well, they're out 50 bucks. They might even say that was 50 bucks. That was that was tuition. They did it again. Oh, that worked. There it is. OK, it worked. All right. First time you send a transaction, it takes a little longer than you expect. Where is it? Where is it? Never mind. It takes your bank account transaction three days to clear. So they do that. And then they sit there and they look at it and say, wait a minute. I own this now. I control this now. No one can take this from me. I kind of like this. And then they started building upon that. And then we have people that sit back and say, well, look how lucky they are. Or they say, you know, I missed the opportunity. Look at where it is now. I heard that when it was $300. I heard that when it was $600. I heard it when it was $1,200. I heard it when it was $3,500. I heard it when it was ten grand. I heard it when it was $40,000. I heard it when it was $60,000. And now it's sitting at twenty. And the person that said they missed the opportunity when it was at sixty, and if it goes down, man, they'll be trying to get in touch with me on the next bull run. And I generally don't really help people during the peak of bull runs. Because I know what's happening, especially people I know, especially people that are close to me when they call me. So, you know, there's another uh, there's another crypto winner on the way. Keep your powder dry and get ready for it. And what happens? That time comes. And even though it played out exactly the way it has three times before. Well, you know, I, I don't really think it's worth doing now because it went down. So, yeah, if you're new to Survival Podcast and you come here from the Bitcoin content, I encourage you to tune into Thursday's show. We are going to talk about the subject, why they always win and you always lose. And I don't mean you individually, because I know I got a lot of people in this audience that have gone past that stage. I'm talking about the general population. The general population always loses because they don't think with a wealth mindset. And I'm not up here doing Zig Ziglar or Grant Cardone or whoever impersonations. That's not me. Y'all that are longtime listeners know that's not me. But there is wealth consciousness 
and there's poverty consciousness, and there ain't a hell of a lot in the middle. And how you think about money will determine whether you win with money or not. And it's proven true over and over and over again. And when people say things like, I can't afford a good CPA, then either you have no income and you're not paying hardly shit in taxes anyway, or you don't understand the value of money at all. Because any CPA that's worth the salt in their body should more than pay for themselves if you have anything to work with. And then you take that across everything in life and understanding buying things for value versus buying things for cost, the accumulation of wealth, the mindset of investing intelligently and hedging the investment itself. And this is what the rich people do. And it's not whether they're morally good or bad. It's that they're financially intelligent. The the worst psychopaths in the oligarchy are better with money than you, and that's why they win, and that's why you lose. Consistently, constantly, nonstop. Consistently, constantly, and nonstop. And the whole gimmick with taxation is they convince you rich guys are bad guys, and if they're bad guys, that they must be cheating on their taxes. So if we hire 87,000 IRS agents to go after the billionaires, we'll make them pay their fair share and everything will be great. And if you believe that, I have some bridges to sell you, some oceanfront property in Arizona and some other shit. By the way, I only take Bitcoin for all those investments. I'll sell you all the oceanfront property in Arizona you want if you believe that. I did the math and it was something like 140 87,000 IRS agents would equal 140 IRS agents permanently dedicated to every billionaire in the United States if their purpose was to go after billionaires. That's why they always win and you always lose. So to more, know more about that and wealth mindset, tune in Thursday. Tomorrow, we're going to have an episode, I believe, Benjamin Page, and we're going to go into the world of permaculture, and then Friday, an expert council Q&A. Next week... I will be in Bastrop, Texas from Wednesday through the rest of the week. And I will be there through Saturday now. The weather guessers say that it's all going to be okay. I'm not going to leave my wife in the middle of a freeze or something like that. Take care of a little farm here. Uh, so I'll be down there. Uh, JP Sears is going to be down there. Zuby's going to be down there. There's a link in the video notes below where you can learn all about that. Please use that link. It is an affiliate link. You can come hang out with me. You can come drink a beer with me. We, I don't think we'll have beers at the event center. Trust me, there'll be a beer or a whiskey or something involved somewhere in all this if you want to come hang out with the TSP crew. Get to meet Zuby and JP Sears in the same place, plus me. That sounds cool. John Bush, Mark Moss. It's going to be awesome. Come check it out. And I'll be there. That means you'll be getting some rewinds if you're listening to the podcast next week. Just want to give you the heads up on that. With that, I want to remind you guys, if you like the show and the work that I do, uh, you can always support me really easily by doing your online shopping starting at tspaz.com. tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com. It's just a little short domain, and it just redirects to a page on my website where I do all my uh, Amazon reviews. And I have about 400, 500 products in the T-SPAS catalog now. They're all items I own, I spent my own money on, and I would buy them again or I wouldn't recommend them. This is one I've been recommending for like three years now since I got deep into indoor hydroponics. The Barina LED grow lights in six packs. Uh, they have two-foot lights and they have four-foot lights. I've used all types of configurations of these. They're on sale for a little bit off today. Right now is a good time to be either growing indoors because it's winter, 
doing your indoor hydro, your indoor aquaponics, even your indoor soil pot-based growing, um, or to be getting systems ready, probably not time to quite start the seeds yet, but getting systems ready to do seed starting for your plants to go and go out into your garden. These lights are the way to go. And I'm telling you, five years ago, one of these lights was like 60 bucks, okay? And now you can get six of them for like 60 bucks, depending on the length of them. That's just how much better the tech has gotten with all of the indoor growing. Uh, we owe a lot to the cannabis industry here, guys, as they have kept demanding higher and higher quality economy of scale. One generation stuff back is just so much better than you could buy for big money not that long ago. These things work. They do outstanding uh, on growth. You can learn more about them at tspaz.com or the survivalpodcast.com. Even got a video here of a plant starting system that I built uh, and one, one of my uh, vertical outdoor uh, or garage-based farms that I did for winter growing as well. But you can always support us no matter what you buy if you start your online shopping where tspaz.com. Again, come check us out down in Bastrop next weekend. And if you're coming here Saturday to my place, there's a small group getting together for a composting class. Check your email probably tomorrow. I have a few more uh, details I'll be sending out. Nothing uh, incredibly important, but I look forward to seeing you guys then. And uh, if you, I've had some emails come in asking about that. That workshop is sold out, but there will be more small on-site workshops coming out. I am going to go through the starred comments right here. Like K-Bonk has them all pretty much. Um, I'm going to do the best I can because some of these were for our guest Trent. But K-Bonk asks, is there a binding contract for a fiduciary? Generally speaking, when you choose a financial advisor, investment manager, whatever, there'll be a contract. Um, it may not specifically spell out fiduciary duty, but it's implied by law. When you employ one of these people who's licensed, certified, et cetera, um, they do have a fiduciary duty to you under a U.S. law. As far as other jurisdictions, I don't want to comment on that because I don't know. There's an implied fiduciary responsibility in most things in business today. If I run a corporation um, as a sole proprietor, but I set it up as a company, an LLC, an S-Corp, whatever, even though it's only to myself, technically I have a fiduciary responsibility to myself and the company by law, but there's no one to file a complaint. But if I am running an LLC as the LLC manager and I have other partners in, the, in, in an LLC, it's not only partners, it's members, then I have a fiduciary responsibility as managers to the other folks who are members of that company. Further, I have a fiduciary responsibility to my customers if they become dependent upon my business to do things in a way that makes the company have the greatest chance of possible of success and remaining a going concern, though that'd be a hard thing to happen under U.S. law. K-Bonk also says, who are you following and consider a strong leader in the Bitcoin network? Uh, as I mentioned, Brian Harrington, uh, I know we both follow him. I also know he fo follows Gary, Gary, uh, Guy Swan. But one thing you can always do if you want to know who somebody follows on Twitter, go to a Twitter account, right? And, and you can usually see who they're following. I think you can still do that. I, I haven't done it in a long time, but I think you can do that. And if you want to know who somebody in the Bitcoin world values the opinions of, follow them on Twitter. Look who they retweet because until Elon got back involved with Twitter, I wasn't really enamored with Twitter anymore because I was shadow banned. But I, I went there anyway for DM conversations and stuff like that because the best 
Bitcoin conversations right now. And the, the most opportunity to connect with people in the industry is Twitter. Uh, next, Jeremy says, book recommendations for financial or just great ones that have influenced your life. I'm going to still say for me, I have no idea how Trent would answer this. The book that if you haven't read it, you should read or listen to the audio of it is The Richest Man in Babylon. And every time you read that and you hear the word gold in it, just hear it as Bitcoin or Satoshi's. Try if you've if you've already read it, and I guess you can get the audio for free here on YouTube and listen to it. Even if you've read it and listened to it before, go do it again. But in your head, change the word gold to Bitcoin and just see how it changes your outlook. Last, K-Bonk, U.S. debt right now is 86 times the total Bitcoin supply. That's interesting. So dollar parity with Satoshi or dollar parity with market cap would put the market cap of Bitcoin at what, $31 trillion? That's interesting. That's interesting. I, I've never even I never even mentally massaged my head to $31 trillion market cap of Bitcoin. The number I'm looking for, and you know, long before I kick off, I, I assume, is about $10 trillion where it starts to eat the market cap of gold. And if you don't think that can happen, I suggest you do a little more homework on your math. With that, guys. I appreciate you being with me today. I'm sorry. It, it's not. <laughs> Hunter says, who the heck is Zuby? It's Z-U-B-Y. Go to, go to Twitter and look him up. I'll, I'll, I'll finish with that for those who know who Zuby is. Zuby, uh, his, his Twitter handle, I think, is at Zuby Music, Z-U-B-Y Music. He is a rap artist. I'm not big into rap, but I really like the man. He's an incredibly intelligent man. He... Um, I think he graduated with a degree in like quantum computing or quantum programming or something like that. And he just, you know, he has that degree, uh, some sort of high level programming degree, and he just doesn't want to do it. He didn't like it. He liked music. He was making a living as a musician, but really with a grind. Uh, the kind, like there's, there's, I think we want to understand this about music. There's, there's thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people that make a living in music. You'll never know who they are. And not just because you don't follow their particular genre or anything like people that do will never know who they are. But yeah, I got a guy that I have play here at my place. Um, pretty amazing, amazing dude. He's a great musician and he makes a good living. He makes about two, three thousand dollars a week. And he plays country music. He's very, very good. His, his name's Cole Reisner. He'll probably never be in Nashville. And unless he really starts doing things differently, he'll probably never be someone of Zuby's size either. Because it's just, he's just a grinder. That's what he does. But Zuby started putting out his opinions. He's a black dude. And his opinions were very much in line with the liberty community. He's also a Bitcoiner, et cetera. So he got attacked by the mainstream. And it was being attacked, blew up his popularity. And he's been on like Nat Brunel's uh, show, Hard Money, and some other places like that. Really smart guy. I'm looking forward to meeting him. But I think you might enjoy meeting him as well. Uh, and JP Sears is. The, the guy that, I mean, I think everybody in this audience probably knows he's long red hair. He started out as a satirical comedian. He was kind of like middle of the road leftist, honestly, when he started. He was kind of a leftist that you could have a beer with and it didn't buy. I wouldn't even say leftist. He, he, he was a moderate that leaned liberal. And he started making some comedy when COVID's came out about, com about COVID's. 
Then he got attacked by the people he thought he was more aligned with and had an awakening, which is interesting since his original kind of shtick was awakening with JP kind of would, would come off with this like spiritual stick and all it was done with some satirical comedy. And he's really, really huge. And so you can meet both of those guys, me, Mark Moss, very well known in the Bitcoin and financial space. Hey, Trent's back here. Let's bring him on. And at least he can say goodbye. Hey, Trent, I was just about to sign off. Wow. We're like an hour and a half. So, uh, we can't just re-enter the interview at this point, but I yeah. want to give you the chance if I saw you to come back and at least let everybody know how they can learn more about you. Yeah. Well, thank you for bearing with me, Jack. And really so sorry about that. That was just a truly one-off case and had to put some fires out, uh, but we're all, all good. Right. We're all good. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, really enjoyed this conversation. Love your podcast. I'm a big fan. Um, I'm mainly hanging out on Twitter these days. Um, I'm at underscore T Dudenhofer. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn at Trent Dudenhofer as well. Um, so yeah, can't thank you again for having me on Jack. No problem, Trent. I appreciate you with that. I'm glad he was able to come back and say goodbye. <laughs> it's been, uh, Jack Spierko with Trent Dudenhofer, uh, with another episode of survival podcast and the Bitcoin break. Are they going to bail you out? Just run you round. They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Yeah.